would if you would, we're going to get into the Word of God. All right, wow, you guys like, wow, that was great. <laughs> good morning, everybody. Oh, good morning, everybody. All right, we're going to get into the Word of God. It's going to be awesome. Uh, how are you guys doing? Isn't this sunshine amazing? Uh, you guys were in such a good mood last week. I'm expecting that sunshine is going to perk up your mood this week as well. Um, few things before uh, we jump in. I know we've had a lot of, um, a lot of announcements already, but just want to make you aware, we, we send out a weekly e-news, and also I'm doing the next couple weeks special Advent devotional videos. Who actually saw the one that sent out? There were seven views, so just a couple of you. Uh, those are going out in the weekly email. Really good stuff. A way to set aside the season as we look forward to Christmas. I'm super stoked, too, for the Christmas Eve service. So please, set aside that evening to, to be with us. Every year has been so special. Uh, that's going to be good. And one other thing I want to give you a heads up for that may feel um, like not the right time. Obviously, we're in the season of feasting, you know, between Thanksgiving and Christmas. It's just like eating and gaining all the weight. Well, in January, <laughs> um, every year we set aside a 21 days of prayer and fasting. I only say that not to like spoil your joy in the season, maybe to tell you to enjoy it really a lot. Um, but <laughs> a fast season will go best if you plan ahead. Think about how you want to take those 21 days uh, from the first Sunday, uh, not the first, so the 8th, the January 8th to uh, three weeks beyond that will be a set-aside, consecrated time. And every year is powerful. I was, I was reminded how powerful it is. Last week, someone just offhandedly mentioned, oh, yeah, well, last year when we were in the 504, which is what we call a fasting time, such and such and such, and every year God meets us corporately and individually during that time. So I want to encourage you to be talking to your family, praying to the Lord. How can I set aside these three weeks in the new year? Again, not to dampen your holiday celebrations. In fact, amplify them. Make them amazing. Feast away. Fasting is coming. Uh, <laughs> uh, you'll be grateful. Really, you will, for both. Um, awesome. Well, this morning I, I was driving in... Uh, for service, and this amazing sunshine was coming in my, my windshield, and I could still see, thankfully, um, but I just, out of my soul, was welling up this song, and I'm like, well, let's sing it together, because the last few times I've shared, I've got us, or even some of our Sundays, we've, we've dug up some older tunes, and you guys have really enjoyed that. You've enjoyed getting in those older tunes, right? So, but what came out um, today um, as, as I was driving in was How Great Thou Art. You guys know that song? I was like, ah, we got to sing that one. Let's sing that chorus. Can we do that? Then sings my soul, my Savior God to thee. How great thou art, how great thou art. That's some good singing. Keep going. Then sings my soul, my Savior God, to thee. How great. 
How great Thou art, how great Thou art. This is so good. So good. Just the glory of the Lord on that song. I just wanted to share the moment with you. But it also got me to think, you know, why, why is there such a sense of, and this is not my message. Are you good? Are you guys okay? Um, why these old songs have such a sweetness to them for us? Um, I think it's because we, we can remember times with the Lord and also seasons of our life. And this will be relevant uh, soon to the message. But seasons of our life where we, we saw the goodness of God in, in such a, a profound way. Um, but then that got to me thinking, to be thinking as well. And so let's call this a word of encouragement this morning. Is, is often we, I think we, we have a tendency, a temptation to romanticize the past. Right? Oh, the good old days, or that season of life was so good. Or we, we often long for the future. We're looking for another day, a better day, you know. But in the middle of the present, so many times I feel like we despise it. We despise the present. You know, and, and that moment of your life that you look back and say, oh, this is so good. I bet you didn't actually appreciate it in that moment as much as you do now. What if we flipped the script a bit and, and, and took logic into to play here that today is yesterday's future, the day I was longing for, you know, and today will be tomorrow's past, the one that was so good, and decide that today I'm going to sing How Great Thou Art, all my soul. Today's a good day yeah, because it is. In, in the narrative of God, we will look fondly on this day, and it is the day we were longing for, even if it doesn't look like we thought it should look like. You know, and to, to come in even every Sunday, you know, because the songs we sing today will be the nostalgia of tomorrow. You know, the bless the Lord, O my soul, will be the how great thou art in, you know, 2040, should the Lord tarry. <laughs> I'm not sure we'll still be here. Uh, <laughs> but I think we may be still singing that one on that day. You know, bless the Lord, O my soul. That we would come and sing how great... Thou art every day because he's good today. His greatness is today. What's glorious was yesterday. What's coming is glorious. You know what? Today is glorious. Amen. So we are in our first love series. That was my just word of encouragement. So I expect your How Great Thou Art voices next Sunday. No matter what song we're singing, I never sung this part, give it your How Great Thou Art anyways. Just give it. Amen. I'll be looking for it next week. We're in our first love series. We've been reading the Song of Solomon, which may seem way out there, but I think you guys are enjoying it. It's been good. If you have a Bible then, uh, or a device that you're going to follow along with, uh, we're going to be today in the Song of Solomon. I like to call it actually Song of Songs, because that's what it's called within the book, chapter 4. And we're going to get there, but I want want you to know where we're going. So um, the first love series is, is about that and why um, and even leading up to Christmas, uh, is that Christmas is the greatest um, testimony for the next coming of Christ, the second coming of Christ, even as Justin uh, mentioned during worship, that we remember as we, as we remember that he came as a baby, that he's coming again. 
You know, and he's going to come, and when he comes, he's going to have a worthy bride. He's going to have a people fully in love and fully partnered with him, and that's us. And so we're reading Song of Solomon, Song of Songs. I tripped over right there. Song of Songs. We're reading it in an allegorical perspective where it is the song of love between uh, the bridegroom and the bride, Jesus and his people. That's you and me. And, and we're diving into this reality because we want to be prepared. We want to be ready for, and we want him to be working in us to be that worthy bride, to be a people fully in love. And that's what this, this book, this, this portion of scripture, part of why it is a gift to us. It is our song. This is our song. The song above every other song. The song from which all songs derive their, their purpose and meaning. This is the song of love between Jesus and us. It's you and me and Jesus. Isn't that amazing? And so far we've talked about in this series, chapter one, that his love is better than wine. His love is better than any of the pleasures of this world. We've talked about that. We talked about resting, finding rest in Jesus' finished work in his shade is what we talked about. We talked about, and Marvin shared this one. He's in with the youth class today. Um, seeing the beauty of Jesus and how that inspires us to love him in a deeper way. And last week was Thanksgiving. It wasn't in the Song of Songs, but it was about the power of giving thanks. Um, but I believe that that, and I wanted to touch that momentarily as a launch into this, because um, it would be easy to, if you boil what I shared last week down to from Psalm 100, uh, verse 4, is that um, the fuel for our, our adoration of God is that he is God and that he is good. And we've heard those truths so often that it's easy to set them, well, that's, that's simple stuff. That's fluffy stuff. Um, but I tell you, it is foundational stuff. It is the strength that we stand on every day that God is God and he is good. And if you'll remind yourself of that, it will change your life. Uh, so I believe it's in the flow, though it wasn't in the Song of Songs per se series. God is God and he is good. And we, we, when we acknowledge that, it changes our world. Today, I want to talk about... Um, Chapter 4, The Captivated Heart of God. This will change everything as well. A.W. Tozer said it something like this. I'm probably getting it not quite right. But he said, the most important thing about you is what you believe God thinks about you. Or what you think God feels about you. You get that? The most important thing about you, the most life-defining reality, is what you think about God. What you think he thinks about you. Does that make sense? Why? Because it will determine the way you steward your own heart and mind and life. Just plug it in. If you believe there is no God, then you will live as if there's no God. Right? If you think, believe about God that he's mad at you and that he's distant, then you're going to live in fear. And maybe some really hardcore performance Christianity. If you believe that he's kind, you'll want to draw near to him. If you believe that he truly loves you, you'll want to love him back. You see how it defines everything? And we don't even think about it consciously, but if you boil it down, if I were to sit you down and you were 100% transparent with me and I said, tell me what you think God thinks about you, I would write that down and I bet we could see the lens of your whole life the way you're motivated, the way you're wired, your fears, your failures, your weaknesses, all trace back to what you actually believe 
about God. So, I think it'd be really important for us to have the right view, to have the right message. To, and that's what chapter four of the Song of Songs is about. It's about God is in love with you. What does he feel about you? He is in love with you. He is captivated by you. He is overtaken in his heart when you look at him. Can you believe it? We need the Holy Spirit's help, don't we? We're going to talk about the captivated heart of God. Let's pray. Let's jump in. God, we thank you for your word, that it is truth, that it is life, that it sets our feet on solid ground. And Lord, I'm asking today for a spirit of wisdom and revelation that your Holy Spirit would enlighten our eyes, enlighten our hearts, cause us to come alive to the reality of who you are. And Lord, I also pray you would break off our wrong thinking, that you would remove and extinguish wrong thoughts about who you are and how you feel about us. God, that you would, we would see and experience the captivated, ravished heart of God and our hearts would come alive, that you would light a fire in us today in the mighty name of Jesus. If you agree, you can say amen. Amen. All right, are you ready? I want to read Song of Songs, chapter 4, um, not all of it. So I'm going to skip a little chunk of it and just encourage you to take this as the reading of the menu. You go digest later. Um, and uh, we, will have, we do have some um, resources that you can get. They'll be on our email on our website. Song of Songs, chapter 4, verse 1. And this is the voice of the beloved. This is Jesus the voice of Jesus speaking to you. That's how I want you to hear it. You ready for that? Hear the voice of Jesus speaking about you to you. Behold, you are beautiful, my love. Behold, you are beautiful. Your eyes are doves behind your veil. Your hair like a flock of goats leaping down the slopes of Gilead. And I'm going to pause this section because he goes on and on with some very figurative poetic phrasing that we're not going to get into so I don't get tangled in those weeds but it's powerful I encourage you to look it up I'm going to skip to verse six again still the voice of Jesus speaking to you until the day breaks and the shadows flee I will go away to the mountain of myrrh and to the hill of frankincense verse seven you are altogether beautiful, my love. There is no flaw in you. And I want you to know, like when I read that, I'm like, oh, this is what we say to Jesus. No, this is what Jesus is saying to you. You are altogether beautiful, my love. There is no flaw in you. Verse 8, come with me from Lebanon, my bride. Come with me from Lebanon. Depart from the peak of Amana, from the peak of Sinir and Hermon, from the dens of lions, from the mountains of leopards. Verse 9, you have captivated my heart, my sister, my bride. You have captivated my heart with one glance of your eyes, with one jewel of your necklace. Verse 10, we're going to end on this one. How beautiful is your love, my sister, my bride. Again, this is about you, not about him. He says, Your love is beautiful. How much better is your love than wine and the fragrance of your oils than any spice? Wow. I don't know if you feel it yet, but that's real. That's powerful. I know some of the language can throw you off if you're not familiar with it, but God's going to help you. Back to verse 1. 
God speaking to you. Uh, some versions say, oh, how beautiful you are. This version says, behold, you are beautiful. My love, behold, you are beautiful. Why does he say it twice? It's like a double exclamation part. I want you to know I am excited about you, the Lord's saying. When he looks at you, his heart is moved. He's overtaken. He's overwhelmed with emotion. You know like how you do when you get overwhelmed by something. When something excites you, just keep saying it. Over, oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. That's how he feels looking at you. Can you believe it? Because it's true. When he looks at you, he says, you're beautiful to me. <laughs> and there's an old song about that, isn't there? <laughs> you are so beautiful to me. Uh, maybe the Lord would sing that over you. I don't know. But he says, you're beautiful. What does that mean? He, he looks at you and says, you are desirable. I want you. And you know what? That changes everything. When you see that God says, are you going to argue with him? <laughs> when you see that God says he desires you, that he wants you, he wants your hearts, and he sees you not as some disgusting, pitiful sinner, but as beautiful, that changes everything, doesn't it? You are beautiful, desirable, and wanted by God. This is one of the most significant and powerful truths of Scripture, is that God has a deep desire for his people. He has a deep desire for you and me, and it's expressed poetically here, but it's all throughout the Bible. He, he has deep desire. We believe many times or even been taught wrong ideas that he's distant, he's stoic, he's unfeeling, he's unmoved. That is not at all. This is the word of God penned by the Holy Spirit to us to reveal God to us. Now, how does he love us? In what way does he love us? Because in a moment, you're, you might be like, well, that's just the Song of Songs. Maybe I don't agree with you. Maybe this is not really figurative. Maybe it's not really about us. Maybe it's just a, a song about a man and his wife. Well, you'll never get away from the fact that God throughout history and time and until he returns calls us his bride. <laughs> but let's take it out of there. How does God love us? And, and Marvin talked about this so well, so I'm just going to kind of fly over it as a reminder. But in John chapter 15, Jesus declares so plainly, as the Father loves me, I love you. How does God love us? The same way he loves himself. The same way the Father feels about his son Jesus, he feels about you. Do you think for a moment he hesitates? Well, I kind of love you, but except kind of, no, no exceptions. No ifs, ands, or buts. The way God loves Jesus with, with full strength, passion, Jesus says that's how you're loved. And you need to hear it over and over and over again because in your mind you have so many excuses, so many ifs, ands, or buts. But Jesus, you're going to argue with Jesus? <laughs> he said it. This is how we love you. What would it be like if there was nothing between us, no sin, we'd never messed up, we'd never dishonored God? What would it be like? Jesus says, that's how it is. That's how I love you. So change your mind about it because he's already made up his mind about you. And John 17, 23, in his great high priestly prayer, Jesus talking to his father, we're let in on the conversation, same thing. 
You have loved them, Father, even as you have loved me. Is Jesus putting on a show for the audience? Or is he just declaring the truth? Back to God for a, in our hearing. He has loved us that way. And I love this passage too. In Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 7. It's got to mean something, right? 7-7. Seven, seven. Um, but God speaking to his people Israel about how he has chosen them and why. And it's so beautiful and so rebuking at the same time. Uh, but I'm going to read 6 through 8 to you. Deuteronomy 7, verse 6 through 8. He says, You are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession. Out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth, it was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you, for you were the fewest of all peoples. But it is because the Lord loves you. <laughs> That's it. He's made up his mind. And another translation would say, the Lord chose to set his affection on you. He has decided and he's not going to be talked out of it. He loves you because he loves you. He loves you because he loves you. He loves you because he loves you because he loves you. And you can't talk him out of it. Powerful. Not because you were so holy, not because you were so good at being good, but because he decided to love you. He loves you. He has set his affection upon you, and he will not be moved from it. Let's skip down then to verse 6, where he says this uh, poetic phrase, Until the day breaks and the shadows flee, I will go my way to the mountain of myrrh and the hill of frankincense. Now remember that first section, I didn't read it all, but was his effusive uh, love flowing out his affection for, for his bride, for you and me, and all the different descriptors he gives, you know, your, your hair, your teeth, your neck, your this, your that. I love you, I love you, you're beautiful, you're beautiful. Let's just say beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. In, because of how I feel about you, I'm going to sum that up. Then verse 6. How valuable you are to me. Then verse 6. Until the day breaks and the shadows flee, I will go my way to the mountain of myrrh and to the hill of... What does, what does that mean? Frankincense and myrrh sounds familiar, doesn't it? Well, you interpret the Bible with the Bible, so great. If it sounds familiar, what's it from? Well, we think of Christmas, right? That's what they brought to him. But it was a weird gift that the wise men brought. These were valuable spices, but they were burial spices. So when, when Jesus, the bridegroom, says, I'm going to ascend the, the mountain of myrrh and the hill of frankincense, it's him saying, I'm going to show you the depth of my love by taking my life and laying it down on the hill of Calvary. The greatest expression of how I feel about you, the greatest expression of your value to me, is that I will outstretch my arms, and even while you are sinners, I will die for you. I will ascend this hill. I will demonstrate love. I'm not just going to say it in words, but once and for all, at the apex of human history, I will demonstrate the depth of your worth to me. How much are you worth? You are worth my very life. That's how I feel about you, says the Lord. And it was always that he felt this way. 
about us. Revelation 13 actually says this wild phrase that Jesus was the lamb slain from the foundation of the earth. That it was in the heart of God before anything had been created that the posture of his heart was, I'm going to create a people and they will be worth everything to me. He was positioned in love from before the foundations of the world. The lamb who would be slain before anything else had come to pass, before one human had been created, his heart, his affection was set, and it would not be changed. Isn't that beautiful? I love that. Romans 5.8 explains it a little more, but it says this, that, well, I'll start in verse 6. While we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Why was it the right time? Because he was already the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. It was never, it wasn't a new thought in God's mind. Well, they've really messed it up. I'm going to go sit. No, he was always this, but at the right time. He died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would even dare to die. But God shows, God demonstrates his love for us that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. This is the eternal love of God, that from the foundation, he was the lamb, and forever he will be the lamb. In eternity, the one we worship is worthy as the lamb. Worthy as the one who showed such great love for me. Worthy as one who set his affection on me when I had no affection for him. Worthy is he. The eternal love of God is that he would give himself to bring us to himself, to make a way for us to experience the great love in his heart. It is the ultimate statement of your worth to him. And you can't change his mind. And you can't erase it. It's finished. It's done. Let me ask you this. Who would you die for? You know, if you're a parent, you think of your children. If you're married, you think of your spouse. If you're younger, maybe you think of a best friend, a parent. Who would you die for? Who would you look at and say, the commitment, the posture of my heart is that anything were about to happen to you, I would get in the way over my dead body. I would lay my life down without a thought. It's my, the posture of my heart that I would give anything for you. You are that valuable to me. Everyone has someone. Think about that someone. Think about the power of that posture. That's just a sliver. Sliver how Christ feels about us. And when you think about that person, is it based on their behavior? If they're good today, you can give their life for them? Or is it because of who they are to you? Yes. It's because of who they are to you. It's because of how valuable they are to you. It's the position of your heart toward them because of who they are to you. That's who you are to Jesus. Not based on your behavior, not based on whether you got it right today, it is the posture of his heart from the foundation of the world. That's how he feels about you. There's no greater love than this. Jesus declared again in John 15, then a man would lay down his life for his friends. So when he says, I will ascend the hill, I will, I will ascend that hill, and I would do it again and again and again and again. That's how valuable you feel. And then he goes on in verse 7. We're moving on, in case you're wondering. 
You are altogether beautiful, my love. Again, he's talking to you. There's no flaw in you. That just messes me up, right? Because I'm like, uh, that's not true. No, it's true to him. God doesn't just see us in our here and now. He sees who he created us to be. And he sees who we're becoming. And he speaks to that reality. He says, oh no, I know what I'm doing in you. I know who you really are. I know who you're becoming. And it's like he's washing us in the water of his word. There's no fly. How can he say that so confidently, so boldly? Because he knows the blood he shed was enough to cleanse you completely. Once and for all, past, present, future. There's no those sins that you committed. The ones you're about to commit have no bearing on his love for you. There's no flaw in you to him. He's redeemed you completely. And he can look at you without a speck of of hesitation in his eyes. He can look at you without uh, trying to block out the sin he's aware of and with full confidence say, you are all together beautiful. Everything about you is desirable to me. There's no flaw in you. And you know what your best bet is when God speaks the word to wash, washes you with the water of his word? Is say, yes, Lord, I agree with you. It's not a good idea, and it's not helpful to you to try to stand up and argue with God. But, 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 it's just not going to help you. <laughs> You're not going to prove your case to God. But didn't you see what I did? Didn't you hear that thought in my mind? All the more reason you need to hear him say to you, You're beautiful to me. There is no flaw. Because you know why? When we hear his word to us, when we hear his word over us, whether we read it, um, whether we hear it by the Spirit, when revelation comes, it's that telling us the truth about us is what transforms us, actually. It's what gets us to the place he wants us to be. Not by us digging on our heels and trying to prove our case about a wretched, what a wretched sinner we are is. It's coming into agreement. You say I'm beautiful to you. You say I'm lovely to me. You say there's no flaw in me. Okay, I believe it. I believe it. I receive it by faith. And your heart becomes transformed because you know that you're loved. Your, your mind gets renewed because you start to think his thoughts about you. And this is the most important thing about you. What do you believe he feels about you? He delights in you and me. And he can't stop talking about it. Because verse 9, <laughs> you have captivated my heart, my sister, my bride. You notice how he keeps saying it again? You've captivated my heart with one glance of your eyes. Now, another version would say ravished. And I just feel like that word's a little awkward, just to be honest. Um, it's the same thing, though. It means to be overtaken emotionally, to... To, to be so moved. But he's captivated. You have captivated his heart. But why does he say my sister, my bride? We have to talk about that. Because he's not saying it just poetically. It means something to him. When he says that you've captivated my heart, my sister, my bride. Now the bride is uh, the identity of the spouse, the, the, the betrothed of God forever. That is us. That is the church. But it speaks about his desire 
for partnership with us, in relationship with us, loving interaction with us, God and man. But sister, why does he call us sister? It's him identifying himself with us in his embracing our humanity. That he became like us when he was incarnate. Jesus came. He became like us and we became his sister because of what? Because of love. He set aside his glory. Because of love, he endured great suffering. Because of love, he became like us. Why? So that we would know forever that he understands us. He understands what it means to walk in human flesh. He understands what it means to be tempted in every way as we are. You read that somewhere? He knows what it feels like to feel like us, and he's joined himself to us in humanity forever. Why is that important? It speaks to us about how he relates to us. Again, not as far away, distant, big, powerful God, but as the one who draws near. The way God relates to us is that he gives us mercy and forgiveness, and he gives us grace. Grace is power to live. Our high priest, our human high priest is merciful towards us because he understands our humanity. But he also knows how to empower us because he lived the empowered human life. We are his sister. We are his companion. We are his bride. So beautiful. So awesome. This is God's pathway to transformation that we would be transformed by knowing that we are treasured. We're not transformed by knowing, understanding the law and trying really hard to obey it. They tried that path, remember? It was a good tutor, he said, for a minute, but only until Jesus came. Only until he revealed to us the fullness of his heart. Only until we could understand how treasured we are. This is the way the Lord transforms us. And as we are transformed, we will obey. Because we know that we are loved, we will want to obey. Does that make sense? The whole truth about your life includes way more than the wrongs you've done. (laughs) God defines us completely differently. God defines us by what he sees, the incredible worth he's placed upon us, but also he sees the longing of our heart. And this is the truth about the longing of our heart. I know this because I'm a human like you. We want to love God. We do. And we want to know him. And we want to relate to him. But it doesn't always like work out well. We don't always get it all right. But God looking at you looks right into your heart and says, no, I see it. I see that you want to love me. I see that you want to obey me. I see that you want to walk with me. And that's all I need. Because I can see through your heart and I can see through the mess and I can see through your mistakes, but I see you. And at the core of you is not your mistakes. What's at the core of you is your desire. Your desire for me. And I want to speak to that. I want to breathe life on that spark of desire in your heart. 
so that you'll come alive to your identity, your truest identity, the one thing that really matters, where you, as someone who walks with Jesus, would say with boldness and confidence, just as he looks at you and says, I love you, you're beautiful, that we would stand and say, I'm loved by God, without a twitch of reservation, which about a, without a second thought, but, 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 no, I'm a lover of God today. Because that's my truest desire. I don't always get it right. But I'm a lover of God today. And tomorrow, you know what? I'll be a lover of God. And you know what? I'll be the next day? A lover of God. And you know what? I'm going to be forever? A lover of God. You know what? You won't be forever? Weak. You know what? You won't be forever? Sinning. This is your eternal destiny to be a lover of God. And he's trying to breathe upon that ember, that desire, that longing in our heart. Examples of this reality, how God speaks to us, how he causes us to come alive by speaking the truth over us that we don't always see and know would be like Gideon. He found Gideon hiding, fearful, on the threshing floor. You guys know the story. And he, he sneaks up on Gideon, essentially, and says, hey, Gideon, mighty man of valor. And Gideon's like, another Gideon in the room? Because that ain't me. Long story short, you know who Gideon was? A mighty man of valor. You know what God did? Used him to win the battle. Yeah, the one hiding and fearful, God saw what was actually in his heart and called it out. That's what he does. Think of David. Great, great example. A man after God's own heart. And David's failure is well recorded in the scripture. <laughs> But the testimony, God's testimony over his life, is that he fulfilled the will of God. He was a man after God's own heart. See, what we hear so many times when we look at ourselves, when we look at other people, is accusation. And that is the work of the devil. He's accusing us day and night and night and day, trying to clutter out our view of who we are before God, trying to get us to come into agreement with those lies instead of the truth. God wants us to get us to a place where we reckon ourselves dead to sin but alive in Christ. Where we consider ourselves as he does. That old life is gone. That old life is gone. Those lies are no longer true. Who I really am is in him. Who I really am is loved by God. Doesn't mean that our sin doesn't matter. But we have to get beyond only seeing our sin. If all we see about us is our sin and mistakes, then we will always feel dirty and ashamed. And a person who thinks they're dirty is going to live dirty. A person who thinks they're loved is going to live loved. A person who believes they're valuable and worthy to God is going to live a valuable and worthy life. Is this making sense? This is the most important truth about you. I'm going to wrap it up here in a sec. Verse 9. We won't read all the verses, like I said, but we've worked through a lot of them, haven't we? You've captivated my heart with one glance of your eyes. What does that mean? It's what I was just talking about, the one glance. God is moved by our genuine, when we, when we express our genuine desire for him, even if it's weak. No, God, you know that I really do love you. That's what moves him. Not, God, look how great I am. Look how good I did. God, I, I really do love you. 
He says, that's how you capture my heart. That's how you get my attention. When you move toward me in authentic love and desire, I'm moved. We think God's moved by the big things, right? We think we're moved if we take long hours of devotion in the word. Nothing wrong with that. We think he's going to be moved by our passionate singing in worship. We think he'll be moved when we grind out fast, you know. God, look, I'm, I'm fasting. I had to throw that one in there since we talked about it. You know, I'm, I'm going to, or we think he's moved when we go on a, on a mission trip. I'm going to go overseas and I'm going to sacrifice and I'm going to serve. And God, look what I did. Now, none of those things are bad, but that's not actually what moves him. You can do all those things without genuine desire for God. What moves him is the authentic movement of your heart back. When you see that you're loved and you say, I love you too. God, I know I'm not getting it right, but I do love you. I do love you. I do love you. I do love you. And it does grow in strength over time. That's what moves him because he looks and says, yes, that's real. That's real. You're responding to the reality of how I feel about you with a genuine response to me. That's, that's what moves God, friends. That's all it takes. You ever build um, fires, bonfires? <laughs> Anybody like, like to do that? I'm, I'm not that great at it. Um, anybody use lighter fluid when you build a fire? Mm-hmm. Love it. Gasoline. Oh, geez. Uh, lighter fluid's good. It has a purpose to start a fire, but it doesn't sustain a fire. You know, you need, you need real fuel. You need wood, charcoal. If it's a gas fireplace, you need gas. Right? Gasoline, yes. The reason I make this point is sometimes we think, we look at seasons of our life or, or moments where we got excited about Jesus, you know? Maybe, you know, you were young and you're on a, a retreat or you went to a conference or just a moment where God was so real and, and your heart was enlivened. And those are real moments, but they're lighter fluid moments. They, they can start something. They can, they can light a spark. But to have a, 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 an ongoing burn of, of zeal for God is not going to be about your youthful zeal. See, that's a lot of it. Like we look back, well, when I was younger, I was really zealous for the Lord. Well, well youthful zeal is a real thing. It's a real thing, and it can be given to anything. Why do you think every movement on the earth, good or bad, always tries to capture the youth? Because youthful zeal is a powerful thing. It doesn't mean it's God. Like Hitler accessed youthful zeal. Youthful zeal is okay, but you don't look back and say, well, it was because I'm young and I'm older now. I'm never going to have that kind of passion again. Well, God gave you a lighter fluid moment, but now he's giving you fuel. He wants to give you wood to keep logging on the fire. And you know what that is? Continually reminding yourself how God feels about you. If you want to put it in other poetic terms, think of the wood of the cross, the demonstration of Christ's love for you from the foundation of the earth. Think about it. Speak to yourself about it. Speak to God about it. It's like throwing another log on the fire. Re recount the words of this song back to God. You say you love me. It's wood on the fire. Think about how he feels about you and you're building a flame that will last. 
And yes, Lord, send more lighter fluid moments. But at the end of the day, whether you have those or not, isn't the test of your genuine love for him. It's did you let the fire get built? Did you continue to throw the log of the truth of the word on that fire? When you think about who he is, when you meditate on what he's done to demonstrate his love for you, that's how you begin to blaze long term. And when you turn that blaze into a gaze towards him in a real way, it moves him. It captivates his heart. We've got to wrap this up. When we see, when we believe that we are the beloved of God, three things. One, changes the way we see ourselves. And it actually changes the way you feel about yourself. I'm loved by God. I'm loved by God. You can't tell me nothing. I'm loved by God. It changes how we see ourselves. It also empowers us to love God back and to love our neighbor. We love, how, why? Because he first loved us. That identity, that, that reality is set. We are empowered to love it also secures our identity. And so many in our world, probably maybe some of us in this very room, struggle. Who am I? Why am I here? We have insecurities. We don't know who we are. Or many we see or know are trying to fabricate some sense of an identity, usually out of a reaction to the trauma they've experienced. What does the world need? They need to know they're loved by God. That is the identity. They need to know that when Jesus looks at them, he says, there's no flaw in you because of what I've done for you. Because I ascended that hill, I gave my life, I demonstrated my perfect love for you, I provided the propitiation to cleanse you completely, and I will finish the work I've started. There's no flaw in you. You are my beloved. And I believe for some of you, as we come into Christmas, but not just at Christmas, I think for the rest of your life, God wants to give you a blessed gift, the gift of spiritual rest, that you don't have to do anything more to be loved by God. He's already made up his mind about you, and he's not going to change it. He wants to give you spiritual rest, knowing that you're loved no matter what. Great St. Augustine of Hippo, uh, Benjamin phrases this one all the time, has this great quote. He says, You made us for yourself, O Lord, and our heart is restless until it finds rest in you. Our hearts will be in chaos and busyness and striving until we find rest in him. How? To know that you're loved no matter what. What does that give you? The rest of forgiveness the assurance that you are forgiven of all you've ever done as a free gift in Jesus, and the rest of intimacy, knowing that you get to relate to God on your good days, on your bad days, the doors always open. The blood of Jesus has paved a red carpet for you to enter his presence anytime, any day, any way. There's so much peace and rest in that. You ain't got to clean up your mess. Just run in. Run in. Let's stand together. Really, this is a simple story of the gospel. Isn't it awesome? God's decided. He likes you. 
and you can't change his mind. <laughs> That's the gospel, and it's beautiful. Your identity forever is you are the beloved of God. He's made you his brother, his sister. He calls you his bride, and that changes everything. Your simple love for him moves him. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for being the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. We thank you for setting your gaze upon us. We thank you for posturing yourself in love towards us forever. We could never have earned it, and yet you call us worthy. We could never deserve it, and yet you have chosen to grant it to us. Oh, we just say yes. We are your beloved ones. We are yours forever. Thank you for demonstrating once and for all your love for us. Thank you that you've drawn near and you will never run away. Thank you for your great love for me. We turn our hearts to you. Just right here before the Lord, just want to take a moment. Would you just respond to him? Would you just respond to his kindness? Would you respond to the demonstration of his love? Would you respond to the declaration of his word over you? There is no flaw in you. Whatever that looks for you, Lord, thank you. Lord, I love you. Lord, I'm so grateful. Would you just tell him out loud? Just whisper back to him from your own heart right now. Just respond. Just take 30 seconds and respond. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. I am the beloved of God. I am yours and you are mine. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I just want us to shake off shame. God, that, that if you've been carrying around this idea that you're not good enough, that you've messed up, just shake it off and receive rest today. You are forgiven. He sees no flaw in you. Turn to him for help and draw near to him. Just shake that off and receive today the rest of forgiveness. Receive today the rest of relationship, the rest of intimacy. And Lord, we ask you, would you continue to fan into the flame the spark in our hearts? Would you breathe upon us again and again? Would you fuel the flame, the love that you see inside of us? God, would you breathe upon it by the Holy Spirit? Would you fuel it in us? God, let us to see it too. Would you build the passion in us that goes on for you forever? That we would love you back the way you have loved us. That we would love you because we are perfectly, fully, freely loved.